You're listening to the Branches HB Podcast. Hey man, you guys, what is up? 1030, we doing good? Let's pray. God, you're so good, you are so faithful, and we trust that you're with Pastor Andrew right now preaching in Costa Mesa, and Lord, we thank you that today, that whatever we brought him, whatever we are carrying, whatever battle, whatever diagnosis, whatever has taken place, God, I ask you will help your people lay it at your feet. You're the good shepherd, God. You are my shepherd. You lead your people, and Lord, we just ask as we open up the word, speak, minister, move. In Jesus' name, we pray and say, amen. Well, guys, how's it going? Amazing to be back in the senior center. I've been traveling like crazy. This is the first time I get to speak to all of you sitting here. Thank you, Jesus. I feel blessed and encouraged. But I told the 830 service the same thing. I said, you guys must think that literally Pastor Andrew or the elders give me notes and said, can you please brag on our church? Can you boast on the church? Can I tell you that has never happened? And why I say that is because there's so much that God is doing here. Amen. I go to hundreds of churches a year. I am around lead pastors, worship leaders, all kinds of people in ministry. And when they say, what is branches like? I said, we love the word. The Holy Spirit leads, and there's so many ministries that didn't come from outside the church walls, but that were birthed from people within the church. Can we just give it up for the Lord for a moment? Amen. I say that because that's a sign of a healthy church, and the fact that we focus on what the Holy Spirit is doing, and we get under the Word of God, why is that important? I mean, think about Genesis, what happened. Think about how the serpent said to Eve, did God really say Did God really say that, Eve? And she should have just said, yes, he did. I don't know whether she didn't know. I think she knew. But whatever took place, she didn't listen to God's word there. She got out of there. The sin came. We all fell. That's why we're in this state today. Amen? But thousands of years later, when the serpent, when Satan came to Jesus, and he began to test Jesus, what did Jesus say? It is what? You can preach. Amen. I'm a preacher. We can preach this together. Preach it. It is written. She should have told the serpent, it is written. And why do we say that? Because there's so much good advice. There's so many great things out there. But what we want to do is get under the covering of the word of God. Why? Because it's a lamp unto our feet. It is still speaking today. Your life will be radically changed just by submitting to what the scripture says. Can someone say amen? And with that, let's go over in your Bibles to Matthew 11. Matthew 11 and 20, I'm going to pack a few things before it's necessary for you to know because prior to this, the gospel of Matthew, it's written to the Hebrews. He's writing to tell them your king is coming, the kingdom of God is arriving. Guys, if you need a Bible, raise your hand, Lisa will get you one. Anyone else? Go on your phones if need be. But the gospel of Matthew is about Jesus coming as king, bringing this kingdom, and what we're about to see is John the Baptist's ministry decline and Jesus's increase. John the Baptist said, less of me, more of you. I must decrease, he must increase. They are not just nice Bible verses. John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. Why? 
to make a way for the Lord. He came shouting in the park, make straight the way. He was the voice of one shouting in the wilderness. Jesus told us if you could accept it, he is the spirit of Elijah, which means when you encounter Elijah in the Old Testament, what was he like? He was radical like John. He was confronting Israel. There he was on Mount Carmel, and he called out to them, whom are you going to worship, Baal or Yahweh or God? And of course, God called down fire, amen, and we could take that exact same spirit from Elijah, we could put it in John, because John preached the same way, yes, I'm going somewhere with this, where is he going, you're saying, I'm going somewhere. As he would proclaim this, we see the same thing in John. John the Baptist would say to the leaders of that day, brood of vipers, who warned you of the wrath to come? If it's real repentance, bear fruit. I say that because John is out there in the wilderness shouting about a coming king. John sounds condemning, sounds like he's shaming, constantly talking about repentance. And yes, Jesus brought the same message, but what was different? The difference is Jesus is coming as the king, but Jesus is coming as the bridegroom. Amen? Jesus is coming to shine a light to the Gentiles, as prophesied by the prophet Isaiah, that Brian, you can be forgiven. Branches, you can be forgiven. Jesus is strolling the shores of Galilee, inviting all who may come. And why this is important is because that message is about to be rejected. It says in Matthew 3, 1, that John the Baptist came preaching. And then John, being led by the Spirit or not, I don't know, he went and challenged Herod and said, hey, you've married your brother's wife, and soon John the Baptist's head was decapitated. How is that for a call to ministry? Sign up for evangelism, dead in six months. John the Baptist spent 20 years alone with God in the wilderness for a ministry that lasted six months, and his head was taken off. That's Christianity. I say this because John is preaching this radical message, and now as Jesus arrives, it's relevant that we understand they're preaching the same message. It's relevant that we understand because Jesus is going to affirm this. Don't go there for lack of time, but I'm going to read to you to recap just a bit about what John did and what Jesus said. It says in Matthew 11, 11, I tell you, church, among those born of woman, there has been none risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is the least in what? The kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Why? Because the Old Testament, they didn't get there would be a banquet. They didn't get the unpacking. They didn't get what we have in the new. So John's an Old Testament prophet in a sense, but now the kingdom's arriving. He even says in that verse, all the prophets and the law prophesied unto who? John. I want you to know everything that's happened prior to John is Old Testament coming into the new. And now I am arriving. I'm the king. There's a kingdom. Do you see what I'm able to do? But he says something powerful in verse 15. He says, whoever has hear, ears to hear, let them hear. What that means is, do you get what I just said? John is making a way. I'm the fulfillment. It's been prophesied for thousands of years since Genesis 3 that he would crush the serpent's head. I am arriving. What he's saying is John came preaching a tough and rough message. Guys, repent. He's arriving. And now I came and preached the message. Love, grace, and mercy, healing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead. But what did the generation do with it? And Pastor Andrew covered this for last week, but for lack of time, here's what Jesus says in verse 18. 
He said, John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said he has a demon. Well, he doesn't eat or drink. There's something wrong with him. I don't like his preaching. And then Jesus says, huh, but when I came preaching, verse 19, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they said, well, he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friends of tax collectors and sinners. You see, they both came preaching the things of God, but man didn't want to hear God's message. They wanted man's message. They wanted motivational speaking. They wanted the church down the street. They wanted a bless me message. They didn't want to hear challenging things. Which how many of you guys know there might be a reason why Andrew isn't in the pulpit today and I'm the one preaching this message. Amen? Pretty heavy message. You give an evangelist a message like this, it could get crazy in here. Hold on to your seats, but wait, there's grace and mercy. I say this because as we hear this, there's many people in our lives today, maybe even you, who are hearing the message of grace and mercy, but sadly there will be a future message that the Bible says one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and that message might be like the verse we're about to read today. If you're there with me, Matthew eleven twenty, are you ready? This is Jesus who sat on the Beatitudes, sat with the children, said all these pleasant things, blessed are the poor, and now he's going to proclaim this crazy message. It's titled, Woe on Repentant Towns. This is Jesus, verse 20. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles have been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazon. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, even in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it'll be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No. You'll go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, really? It would have remained to this day, but I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than you. Verse 25 says, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, and you've revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for this is what it pleased you to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light." What a change of gears. What a change of pace. Jesus gives this picture of three or four modern cities that would have been celebrated. We want to vacate there. We want to go there. That's a fun place. And he sets it off with three cities that you never want to mention. Tyre, Sidon, even Sodom and Gomorrah, places that represented condemnation, damnation, and shame, judgment. It's crazy. I mean, verse 20, it says, bless you. Then Jesus began to rebuke the towns in which most of the miracles were performed because they did not repent. Jesus is sitting on the Beatitudes, speaking life, and the next minute he's saying, woe to where you live. I mean, which Jesus is this? Is this the biblical Jesus? Jesus, couldn't you get back in the bed and go out on the other side like you did a couple of chapters earlier? Amen? What is it about these towns? 
I mean, what is it that they did? What is it that's so radical? I mean, these towns on the northwest side of Galilee, a few miles away from one another, what did they do that was so crazy? Well, what they did was they experienced the greatest of all things. They experienced the greatest privilege of all where the I am that I am, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, God in the flesh, walked their shores. He walked their dusty roads. He greeted you on the way in. He greeted you on the way out. He was down there at Seacliff. He was at the skate park. He was in your midst. He was casting out demons. He was raising the dead. He was loving you like no one else. But what did they do? They didn't repent. I mean, isn't this amazing that he was there? Not for them. It was not good for them. He walked amidst us. He was there in Central Park. We were running by. We were riding our bikes. We were engaging Jesus. But it wasn't good for them because they didn't respond. You see, everyone has a choice. And it says he mentions Coruscant and Bethsaida. And he likens them to Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon were places that the prophet Ezekiel prophesied about. That the Lord's going to destroy you. They never repented either. And so they were destroyed. I mean, that's like us looking at our town and thinking it's so awesome. Like, wait a minute, you're moving us to the top of the list. Why? He even says, if these towns would have had me walk amidst their doorsteps, if I would have crushed their thresholds, they would have seen me raising the dead and doing such and such, they would have repented. And when you think about Coruscant and Bethsaida, these towns of that day, their issue was they heard about God, but they turned away. Tyre and Sidon, and their issue was they were all about adultery. They were all about wickedness. And if I was to say to you, summarize any nation in the world that has heard more about God but still thrives in wickedness and idolatry, where would you think of? If I said, think of a nation that has put more money into Bibles, there's more televangelists on TV, want your money, don't send it to them, amen? That's separate. As you hear about this, radio shows, podcasts, ministers, pastors, churches, everywhere. People downtown preaching today, you could have come to branches, you could have gone wherever. This church is a Christian nation. I mean, even on our money, it says what? But I think that pyramid might believe they're talking about some other God from Genesis 3, not the God I serve, amen? How's that for some conspiracies early in the morning? I say that because when you look at America, you can also come in here, go on your phone, get a pamphlet about Brian and say, oh, I want to support ministry. You can also bring a backpack in and support what they're doing, but at the same time, can go on my phone and swipe right or left or whatever you guys shouldn't be doing anymore, Amen. I say that because are we not like this story? Is God not everywhere? Are people not down there preaching on soapboxes? Oh, pastor, all the relevant preachers say no one comes to faith down there at the pier. There's people in this church today who came to faith because they heard the gospel because of some guy on a soapbox. Amen? All things to all men that we may win some. I say that because if you think of a nation like this, which we love and it's great and all the things it's done, the danger is we can start worshiping a nation over serving God and his kingdom. Amen. There's many that have heard of God and they've said, not for me. I will coexist. I'll take your cross on Sunday, but I want this on Thursday. I want that on Tuesday. I want that on Wednesday. And who are you to tell me? Well, apparently God. And the reason these towns are in this place is why? Because they encountered firsthand miracles. 
Brian, did that really happen at the pier? No, no, no. They were there. They seen it. They watched it unfold. Note what he says. He says in verse 23, And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to heaven? Will you go to heaven? And he says, No. Will you go to heaven? Question mark. No, you will go down to Hades because what, Jesus? If the miracles, the dunamis power of God, the dynamite power of God on display was performed in you as it would have been performed in Sodom, then Sodom would have stood to this day. He's basically saying, you as a Jew think Sodom and Gomorrah are crazy, but if I did in that town what you have seen, they would have repented, they would have stood to this day. You see, Capernaum was where Jesus made home. Matthew 9, 1 says, this is the city that he dwelt in. This is where Peter lived. This is where they fished. They all knew Jesus. Here he is doing his ministry journey. And he didn't start ministry until he was 30 years of age and the Spirit of God was there. But once he did, this is where all the extraordinary miracles took place. The 5,000 were fed just a few miles away. Oh, did you guys hear about that on Saturday? This is where the guy with the withered hand... This is where Jairus' daughter was healed, the nobleman's son, the centurion's servant, the demoniac over there in the park. I mean, the guy was lowered in through the roof over and over and over, miracle after miracle after miracle. But know what? Repentance. I mean, in Huntington Beach, if someone sees a coyote, it makes it to the HB forum, amen? I mean, my ring tells me, there's a coyote in your neighborhood. I mean, this guy's raising the dead and no one cares. Sounded good when he walked the street. Sounded good when he was in your midst. I'll hear it, but leave me alone. I don't want none of that, Jesus. And what's crazy is the fact that he says the word, woe. Isaiah is a prophet of God. He knows the Lord. He's taking in a picture before the Lord. He says, woe is me. If any of you could see God today, outside of who he is in the person of Christ, but even when you see him, you would realize how good he is and how dead in sin we are, amen? Even on our best day, the Bible says it's filthy rags. Jesus looks at this town and says, woe, and what woe means is pity, shame, judgment. You're guilty. Jesus is looking at them in a way, and this was, as I said, offended the Jewish listeners because they would have looked at Tyre, Sidon, Sodom, and Gomorrah, and Jesus is saying, no, um, Huntington Beach, you're top of the list today. You're top of the list today. And guys, we've got to think about it. I mean, what did these seaside towns really do? I mean, did they let off fireworks late at night? Yes, everyone in Huntington Beach. I like it. I don't mind it. Amen. I mean, did they have a homeless population that liked to take everyone's bikes? I mean, maybe. I mean, what did these towns do? Well, we're not worse than Vegas or the worst parts of New York or the worst parts of San Francisco. What was it that was so different than Sodom and Gomorrah? I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah, we want to talk about it. We want to talk about these places. What are they known for? Sodomy and lust and lewdness and craziness and oppression of those who are poor, not taking care of people. If you take all the sins in the world, the worst of sins, whatever God could be speaking to you about, I don't care what it is. The Apostle Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. I've done some crazy things myself. Anyone with me? Probably raise your hand. We're in church. Amen. And Jesus is getting pretty serious. What is bigger than all of those sins? Repentance. Repentance. Jesus is saying, God so loved the world that I walked in your midst. 
and I loved on you and I cared for you and I raised and I healed and I delivered and I preached love. Everything Sodom and Gomorrah could have done, nothing is bigger than the blood of Jesus, nothing is so pure and perfect. Everything is about repentance and knowing the Lord. Why is this so crazy? Because in the midst of all of this, there's only one unforgivable sin. There's only one sin that would keep someone from being forgiven of all those things. What is it? Blasphemy of the what? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Not repenting, not coming to faith, not turning to Christ, not putting your faith in Him. Hearing about His goodness and saying, I don't need that God. There's no sin greater than that. I have sat with people who you wouldn't believe the things they've shared. They will not forgive themselves. And I have to say, you need to get over this. It's not more powerful than the blood of Jesus. Amen. What can wash away my what? Nothing but the? That is Bible. Proclaim that. And see what's crazy. Is Jesus said it was because they didn't repent. Is it okay to talk about repentance nowadays in the church? Can we talk about repentance? I mean, was Jesus missing it telling people to repent? I mean, Jesus, I know you got out the wrong side of the bed today, but this repentance stuff, I mean, why did you send them out in twos? Why did you send the 70? I mean, why did you tell us to wait for the Holy Spirit so we can be filled and now this boldness and we're going to go and be persecuted, hated, these signs will follow us? I mean, am I meant to tell people this message, this gospel? Is it okay when my mom was passing away for the last five days of her life? I really wanted to know the gospel so she could repent and go to heaven. Amen. My wife's mom at home right now suffering with a crazy sickness. Is it okay that she's allowed to be told about the gospel and repent? But pastor, what if my friend lives completely contrary to the Bible? Every one of us, amen. The whole world lives contrary to the Bible. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one who does good. But what if they're in this kind of a relationship and they're living this way and that way? Well, let's talk about that person. What did Jesus say to the woman caught in the act of what? Adultery. We always talk about the rulers and those who were mean and oh, they condemned. Well, let Jesus deal with them. He probably wrote their sin in the ground. What did Jesus say to her? Go and what? Go and sin no more. Gee, I want to live an adulterous life. I have passion. I have emotion. All the churches down the street, they celebrate adultery. In fact, my spouse, they love adultery too. We're adulterous. Who are you to judge us? Is that what we're going to do? Well, Jesus hung out with sinners. Yes, he did. Hung out with me. Hung out with you. All of us. Amen? But have you noticed that when people followed him, they tried to stay in their sin? Did the tax collectors keep ripping people off or did they give back what they owed? Did the prostitutes stop committing prostitution? Did the woman caught in the act of adultery live an adulterous life? What have we done with the gospel? What is, are, we, are we allowed to talk about this stuff anymore? It offends people, but apparently Jesus is judging three towns because of it. It is a bad day for Coruscant, Bathsheba, and all the rest of the stuff that's going on here. You see, Sodom's sin was so great, but like I said, there's nothing more powerful than repentance. Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes into the world, he will what? Convict the world of it. When God convicts you of your sin, it's a good thing. When I stop my kid and say, why are you doing this? We don't want to act this way. I'm not rejecting them. I tell them, this is not going to end up good for you. If you go and make that business deal, if you go where you shouldn't, if you type that thing in, if you take advantage, if I'm living this heinous life behind the scenes, is it really going to be good for me? You see, because all a person has to do to go to hell 
to be separated from God, all they have to do is what? Nothing. Nothing. Well, I don't believe that. Why do you die then? Why is there death? No one dies of old age. We all die because of the curse, because of the suffering, because of this world. The reason politics winds you up and this whole vaccine thing and all we're going through is because of the curse of this world. The reason some of you are saying, man, this guy is so intense is because of the curse of this world. All these things are what's going on in the world. We don't have to do anything, but we're already guilty. All have sinned, like I said. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. This is why Jesus says in John 3.36, fact, Bible. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. You have eternal life today. You're not getting it one day. You have it. Could someone say amen? I don't care what is going on in your life. You won the lottery, the spiritual lottery. You have eternal life. Whoever believes in the Son, thank you, Jesus, glory, has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life. Crazy verses for God's wrath remains on them. What's amazing about this is in that day we hear about these three towns. Bethsaida and Chorazon and the rest. We also hear about Tiberias. This is where the Sea of Tiberias was, which is like saying the Sea of Galilee. It was in that region. But after Jesus said this, do you know to this day that archaeologists have no idea where Chorazon or Bethsaida are? Oh, they're in the history books. We know where they were, apparently, but to this day they don't exist. Capernaum, we might know where it is. But you know what's standing just fine? Tiberias. Pretty crazy that a carpenter 2,000 years ago who's the supposed Messiah would prophesy and speak these things and to this day they don't know where they are, amen? I say that because Jesus was sitting with the lambs, the children you could say, and he's proclaiming all these verses that we love and where leaders put out there all the time. And a few verses later he says the craziest stuff, like I said, which is probably why Pastor Andrew put me in the pulpit today. Should I have a word with him, amen? But now Jesus switches gears. He says all this stuff, and now he looks to his father. He says in verse 25, At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Abba, Lord of heaven and earth. He's not praying in private. He's not withdrawing like he did in the day and the evening with his father. He is openly saying, Father, why is this crazy? Because if you read the gospel of Matthew, it will never say the kingdom of God. It will always say the kingdom of what? heaven Jews wouldn't say a title a name for God they would say Hashem the name so when he says father people are going to say really you who just said all this who they don't even believe is the Messiah yet many are in opposition you are calling out to the father which by the way if you've repented your faith in the Lord you can also call him father too amen why is he praising God though when he's just pronounced judgment on three towns I mean, this would be a terrible day. You would think, what is going on? Well, he says this. Listen, I'm praising you, Father, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, and you have revealed them to children. And before you jump into today, well, who's the wise and learned? I have a high IQ. Am I not going to heaven? That's not what he's saying. Amen? The wise and learned of that day, they were those who thought they were wise and learned. It was the Pharisees and the what? I thank you, God, that they're not able to see this. That's why Jesus said things like this. You have heard it said by them, but I say to you. I gave them the Ten Commandments, and it was meant to be to protect people and love people and shepherd people, but you know what? That's not what it's about. They're not using it to do that. 
That's why Jesus said, my people are like sheep without a shepherd. Think about the Ten Commandments. The first four are about you and God. And the next six are about you and everyone else. When they said to Jesus, what's the greatest commandment, what did he say? Love the Lord your God with heart, soul, mind. That's the first four. And the next is like it. Love your neighbor as your what? As yourself. It's only two commandments. It's all in love. Jesus fulfilled it. But they weren't understanding it this day. And why I'm saying this is because they were tying laws around people's necks. They were living in such a way that he says it's hidden from them. In their pride, they can't see. And see, it's no different today. Traveling a lot, friends I have, high IQs on the planes, all kinds of different people. I mean, you could have wrote every book on the planet, translated them, have more of an IQ than Einstein or whoever. But at the end of the day, that's just worldly knowledge. Amen? At the end of the day, after all the anti-aging creams or if Elon Musk is your best friend and creates some transhuman AI he's planning to do in the future, God bless you. I'm not going near it. Amen? At the end of the day, you all still end up in a box. From dirt you came to dirt you return. At the end of the day, God says this, Proverbs 9.10. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we like that because we want wisdom. But look what he says. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The knowledge of the Holy One is where it starts. Woe is me. Do I see my state? You see, the sin of all these places, it was the first sin. What was Satan's sin? Pride. God says, here's all my creation. All things made by him, for him, through him. I've called everyone to follow, worship, praise. Satan said, I'm not doing it your way. I'm doing it my way. That's pride. That's all that these towns did. All that they did was said, I'm not doing it your way, Lord. I'm doing it my way. And that's why he says, you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, but you've revealed it to who? Little children. And I know we love to have the pictures on the wall of, you know, little art and kids hanging out with Jesus. But what is the analogy? Why are we called to be like children? I mean, all the children in the back, what are they doing? They're depending on who? The parents, if not, you would probably hear a thud, a lot of crying. It wouldn't be a good day, amen? No one drop your kids. The reason why he calls us to be like children is because children are dependent on someone. They have to trust someone. They have to lean on someone outside themselves. The wise and the learned, they don't think that way. I've got enough money in the bank. Do you know who you're talking to? Do you know who I am? Do you understand what I've accomplished? You're going to end up in a box one day, sir. You don't have control over one breath, over a heart. You don't even know what's taken. In fact, where did you come from? I don't know. Okay, let's just calm down. The reality is when you have childlike faith, and this will make sense, think about these verses. Think about how it says in Matthew 18, 3, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Meaning if you don't understand the need, the wise didn't see the need. This is some carpenter. He's walking around doing things. This is by the power of Beelzebul, they said. They missed it. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of a child is the greatest. Why? Because they just trust. They just believe. They're ready to see. They're ready to hear. That's why in the Beatitudes, what did he say? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness because they will be. Blessed because their ears are open. Blessed because their eyes see. Blessed are the poor in spirit because what? That's why the verse says God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. 
He came to Israel. He told his disciples, go only to the lost sheep of Israel. And if you know your theology, it wasn't until he died and resurrected. He said, now go to the world. He came to many leaders whose eyes were blind. Their ears were deaf. They couldn't see. Their hearts were hard. This is what's crazy. He says in verse 26, which is crazy, Father, this is what you were pleased to do. Was he pleased to hide this from the religious? Did he not give them the gospel? No, he did. But they didn't receive it. They didn't reject it. They rejected it. Listen to what he says in Matthew 13, 10. The disciples came to him. And this is what I would have done. I would have gone and asked him, hey, you know, we ran around the park a couple of times. You evangelized everyone. You walked on the water. But Jesus, I've got a question. This is a real question. Why do you speak to people in parables? Why don't you just tell them? Why don't you just lay it all out straight? Why do you just dangle a bit of truth over them? Well, the Bible says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Another's voice, they won't follow. Why, Jesus, Matthew 13, 14. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will never be seeing and able to perceive. He says in verse 15, this people's heart has become calloused. And they hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. And he says in verse 16, but blessed are you and your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. They have been around it so long. They're so comfortable. They've seen what's going on. Life has found its way in. In their pride, in their death, their hearts have remained callous. But those who see their need, I mean, do you remember when you came to faith? People ministered to me many things, but it wasn't until I saw my sin. Because you can help me with a lot of things in my life, but the one thing you can't help me with is my sin. That is a work of God. The gospel is the power of salvation. Amen. So when you hear this, and we go on some Beatitudes, Jesus, to crazy, whoa, Jesus, and all this stuff is unfolding, listen to what he says in verse 27, which is the Old Testament into the New. He says, no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Meaning, the whole of the Old Testament is covering Jesus. Then we get 400 years of silence, and then we arrive at the New Testament, and Jesus is revealed. How do you see God? Who do you look at to see God? Jesus. You see God in the Old Testament, you would drop dead. The Shekinah glory of God, the Bible says, no one sees can see God and live. Amen? God would have a cloud, a pillar of fire. Only once a year could the priest go behind the Holy of Holies and they had a rope on his foot or he would drop down dead. They'd pull him out. Jesus showed up and the Bible calls him the what? Light of the world, the Shekinah glory. The Bible says in him is the fullness of the glory of God made manifest. To look at Jesus, you are seeing God walking the earth Willing to live and die for you and me. It's radical. He says this because their eyes are open and they're hearing. And he said things like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. All these atheists writing books about Jesus never claiming to be God. Why did they crucify him? Blasphemy. Claim to be God. Over and over. John says, we've seen him. And we beheld his what? Glory. 
That means Peter, James, and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration, and Moses and Elijah showed up. How they knew it was them, I don't know. 900 years ago, 400 years ago, but apparently they're all glowing brighter than this light. There's his glory. Jesus walking the earth is God walking the earth through these towns, performing miracles to say, freely receive, freely receive. Woe to these towns for hearing and not repenting. And as they're walking, it's crazy. I love what he says. Look at this verse 28. Don't miss this about Jesus. If you go through your Bible, don't miss these simple words. Come to me. Amen. You fight with your kid, you fight with your spouse, you do whatever, then you embrace. There's something, I mean, otherworldly there that satisfies. It's, it's right. All the time, as crazy as what Jesus is saying, I thank you, God, but you still reveal this to many people. Many are going to respond. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. Do you know the whole of the planet today, its goal is to get rest? Everything you're working for, whether you know it or not in your life, is to get rest. I don't mean sit on your rear end and do nothing. I mean you want rest. I want to put so much money in the bank. Why? So I can rest. I want to sell the most houses. Why? So I can rest. I want to be in better shape so I can rest. Over and over and over, the biggest trap for us is that we live our lives trying to escape the curse. Do you realize that? I can spend my whole life with a plan to establish things that make me feel calm and peaceful because I want to rest. But Jesus said, well, God, back then through the power of the Holy Spirit, what is the curse upon mankind? You'll work hard all the days of your life by the what? Sweat of your brow. Jeff Bezos is still working hard. Bill Gates is still working hard. I can put more belts on my jiu-jitsu thing, but i got to work hard. I can preach more sermons. I am never going to get away from that. Never. And if you say, well, we're not under the case, pastoral or women. Have you ever given birth? How fun was that? You're suffering in the spirit, amen, but your flesh, it's wrinkly. My foot's been creaking for a few weeks. I mean, my back's going to be killing tonight. Pray for me and Pastor Andrew, amen. But the trap of this world is we can often forsake our call to try and escape the curse. Real peace is, it is cursed on this earth. People are dying in our midst. COVID, whatever, have the conversation. The, be, the real, real curse is sin. And there's only rest in one place. Jesus said, come to me. He didn't say go to a church. We're meant to gather. Don't, don't pull that one on me in a few weeks. Well, you said don't go to church. No, Bible says don't forsake gathering together. Amen. But Jesus said, come to me. Not to a church, not to a minister, not to a doctrine, not to an idea. Come to me. And see, he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. And why is this amazing? Because you can only find rest in one place. And it's not actually a place, it's a person. Who is it? You can only find rest, and it's free. You can only find rest, and it's a gift. But can I tell you the rest we enter into? It was not free at all. It cost me nothing. But you know what it cost God? Everything. Everything. Do you feel that? It cost God everything. For the joy before him, he endured the cross. Jesus went to the cross, perfect, walked amidst our towns, our streets. And that would have been us. We're no different. Thank you, Lord. You've opened our eyes. 
went to the cross for you. I mean, at the end of it, you remember what he said? It is almost finished. Amen? It's finished. It's done. You will never find rest in anything because it's in the person of Jesus. The world's not set up that way. It's free. It's a gift. And what does he say? I love this. He says, all who are weary and burdened, the Pharisees and Sadducees were putting religious yokes around the people, and Jesus rebuked them often. They were weary from it. We're Israel. What have we got to do? And they were burdened. Burdened by what? Their sin. They knew. They wrestled. You remember when you discovered that? Oh, man, what am I going to do with my sin? Well, there's nothing you can do because God has done everything. And look what he says, and this will make sense. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Guys, what is a yoke? Pastor Brock was talking about this a few weeks ago. A yoke is something you put on the backs of an animal when you go on a farm. And those two animals put their necks in the yoke, and there they go on their way. But you know what happens if you put a yoke on just one animal? Does it go anywhere? It goes around in circles. That yoke will bruise it, beat it, give you cauliflower ears. That yoke will mess you up. Many of us are living that way. We were never yoked to Jesus in this life, so it beat us down. The thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to what? Give them life and life. But I have come to be yoked to them. So Jesus looks at me and like, oh, divorce, suicidal. Look at your yoke. Comes to you and says, wherever you are, was it pride? Was it sin? Were you the greatest? Were you like Mary, Mary Poppins, but you've just told one lie? You're still guilty, amen? And here comes Jesus, puts his yoke out, and he's already going. Bible says he's the author and finisher of our faith. All I have to do is stand up, put the yoke on. I will give you rest. The part we miss in this is he says, and learn from me. Why would I learn from him? Because he's my rabbi. Why would I learn from him? Because I'm his disciple. So many times he want to punch the ticket to heaven, but we live like we're on our way to hell and we're surprised when there's consequences. Brian, take my yoke, make it personal, write your name right in the front of that. We're not adding Bible, canon, amen, but write it. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me. You know, when teachers went around, rabbis, their yoke was called their teaching. Jesus was called a fisher of men because rabbis went and spoke and it captured the ears of men. This is all understood in second century literature. He says, take my yoke upon you, learn from me. And look at what he says. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I'm not the Pharisees. I'm not the Sadducees. There's no condemnation. I proclaimed in these towns, and they rejected it. He sends no one to hell. You fall. You're in sin in this world. We make that choice. In the garden, the Bible is a picture of the garden. The tabernacle is a picture of the garden of Eden. He says, in the day you'd have eaten of it, you will surely die. God didn't kill anyone. We didn't see it there. But he says, I am gentle and humble. Why? Because it wasn't that he was wise and prideful like the Pharisees. And he says, all who have ears to hear, come and see. So even getting back teach team notes this week, I couldn't be in the teach team with our staff. And how many notes came back? Man, Jesus goes off in these verses. Judgment and damnation and guilty and all those things apply to me and Sodom and Gomorrah and every person that's ever lived. Amen. But he stops and says, but it's okay. Come to me. He stops and says, it's a free gift. 
He walked the streets casting out demons, raising the dead, all of this. And I'm amazed to this day how many people have been in church, around church, have an issue with a pastor or a book or a doctrine or a bias, and they reject so much of what Jesus is saying because the greatest thing that has ever happened to you is the Holy Spirit led you to repentance. Amen? What do you do with this? What would you do if you were preaching this message? Amen? Let's bow our heads for a moment, you guys. Guys, let's get real. We are lost without him. We can have all these ideas, and if you just evolve, you're just roadkill anyway, so get over everything. You don't really matter, apparently. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you were made in his image. You were formed. You were shaped. He knew you in your mother's womb. Bible talks about God, his presence that becomes and lives in our life when we turn to him. So maybe you're someone that's been around church. You've been in church. You have an issue with the church. Maybe you're not repentant. Maybe you're someone who's just struggling. You say, man, I'm wrestling with sin. You are going to wrestle with sin. The apostle Paul wrestled with sin. The flesh is weak. We need to press in. Maybe today you're saying, I want to be right with God. I want to leave this place knowing I left everything in that room. Maybe some of you are just beaten up. You are weary. The last few years, the last few months, I mean the last few hours even, you know, you woke up to this. Wow, is God dealing with me? Yes, he's a loving God. Whatever place you're in, I understand the restrictions in this place and that we're limited to what we can do, but God isn't. We're going to worship, we're going to pray, but at this time, I just want to say, are you here and do you want to leave some stuff here and repent? Are you here and you're just saying, man, I just need prayer for craziness? Because what I'm going to ask us to do in a moment is I'm going to ask people that need to interact with the Lord, whether it's asking for forgiveness and repenting and turning, whether it's people saying, I just need prayer, I'm going to ask those of you to raise your hands. But I'm going to ask everyone else who believes and trusts to begin to intercede for those people, to begin to pray right where you are. So if you're here today and you say, man, today is the day. It couldn't have been a perfect setting. I haven't got to stand up or come to the front. But you know what? I do want to challenge you to stand. If you need prayer of repentance or if you need prayer just to say, Lord, this is too heavy a weight. Let me get re-yoked to you. Would you just raise your hand right now where you are? One, two, three. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You can put your hands down. I'm just going to pray. And Christians, just begin to pray. Just begin to focus and think, Lord, I want to pray for people. God, I just thank you for the cross, for the blood. That Jesus, you lived, but you died and rose again. And the Bible says that whenever a sinner turns to you, that we become a saint. And there's rejoicing in heaven. And Lord, I just pray today that those who carry those burdens, be it of sin, be it struggle, be it their issues, be it things someone has said or done, that wherever they are, God, begin to minister. Church, just begin to pray. Lord, the person next to me, the people in this room, however you pray. God, we just thank you that you are good, but we would be aware that we are living in a, in a crazy, but yet it, it's still beautiful. This world, there's so much to celebrate, but God, there's coming a day where the book of Revelation says, heaven will be rolled up. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. John the Baptist came preaching and it sounded tough, but it was loving. The prophet Elijah challenged those people, whom are you going to serve? Jesus called them to repentance, but he even sadly one day had to say, whoa. God, I pray for a harvest of people. 
I pray for all the ministry that's taken place through branches and the churches locally and that you've put on our elders and pastors' hearts, God. Multiply it. But God, the people in this room, people who are struggling, that today, upon hearing your love letter to the world, they drew closer to you. Church, if you need prayer for anything, I'll be in the front or there'll be people in the back. But for now, spend time with him. Let's worship and praise. In Jesus' name we say, amen. Thanks so much for listening to the Branches HB podcast. For more information on Branches, you can visit our website at brancheshb.com or stay up to date with us on Instagram at brancheshb. As always, we'd love to have you at one of our Sunday gatherings. So come visit us at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m. Locations are available on our website. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.